Father in heaven, we come before you now. And Father, as we handle your word this morning, may we be faithful to it. Father, may we submit all of our opinions, may we submit all of our emotion to the truth of your word. And Father, may this be about you and your name and your word than it is about anything else. I'd be lifted high in these moments. It's the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Many of you have, have told me this week that you were praying for me and I greatly appreciate it and I feel it and um, I can... I can even feel them now. I know that the Lord is 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 doing something, and we're just going to jump in this morning. No fancy points. I'm going to give you an aim, and then we're just going to walk through the text together and unpack it together. Our aim is simply this: men and women are called to fulfill their God-given roles. Men and women are called to fulfill their God-given roles. Women are best at being women. Men are best at being men. This is how God created us. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, we have to keep that in mind. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay, let's just stop so Paul here is he's on the on the on the um, cusp of what he just said, right? He says that we are called to pray, and we talked about that and unpacked that last week. And then right off the bat, he says, "So I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling." Now, for us in understanding our context, right? Um, Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor Timothy who is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus has got some things going on, okay? It sits in this incredible um, city called Ephesus, right? And it's filled with a bunch of people who are broken and a bunch of sinners who have come to know Jesus, but they've got all kinds of cultural differences coming into the church. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and saying, hey, here's some instructions for the church. And here's the structure for the church. And so he has turned and shifted and said, hey, this is what it looks like in the confines of worship, in the gathering place of the believers. Here's what should happen. And first off, he says, I desire for men to do something. Lift holy hands. <clears throat> Some of you are in here are like, I'm not lifting my hands. Not happening. We sing those songs, not happening. Ricky tells me to lift my hands, not happening. They stay right here. Or they stay on the front of the chair. Because you're holding yourself up, right? So what does Paul mean? Well, here's what's going on. Is when Paul tells the men to, I desire that you lift holy hands. Um, the hands in Jewish culture um, were not just a, this is not just a prayer posture Paul's talking about. Paul is saying that, that hands in Jewish culture was the essence of your life. So what Paul's saying is, when you come in to worship men, you come in and you give your whole life to the Lord. 
Your hands are a reflection of the life that you've lived outside of the gathering place of the church. So look, men, we are called then, this is what's crazy, and this is gonna hit you in the stomach. We are called then, then when we come into this place, our lives should be direct reflection of what has happened the rest of the week. Are you living your life worthy of the calling that he's given you to proclaim the name of Jesus, to be upright, to live a quiet and peaceful life and declare Jesus? Is that your life? Because when you come in here, this is an overflow of the expression that you've already given to God throughout the week. And so Paul says, hey, men, come into this place with holy hands lifted high. Because here's the deal. This worship service is not about you. It is about the name of Jesus. And we will lift that name high when we come into this place together as a family of believers. It is about the name of Jesus. And so Paul says, hey, men, you're going to come into this place and it's going to be about Jesus. In fact, so much so that you're going to not argue and you're not going to quarrel about anything, right? Jesus is, in, in Ephesus, um, in, in, in Jesus's time and in the time that Paul's writing this, there's a lot of guys who think they know a lot of things. How many of you know somebody like that? How many of you are that person? Ah, some of you admitted it, right? Know lots of things about a lot of things, right? And, and to argue your own opinion was considered intellectual. It was considered, hey, I've, being learned, I've got some status here. And so Paul's addressing it and saying, hey, no, stop. When you come together as believers to worship, it is about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about your opinion. Rather, we submit to the Lord. We submit to the Lord. Men, we submit to the Lord. You, thank you. That was delayed, but I love it, right? <laughs> look, look. Men, we are best. We are best when we submit to the Lord. Our life in, in, in leading our families, we are best when we submit to the Lord. And so Paul's saying here, hey, come in, men. Come into the place of worship. Let it be a reflection of your whole life and give it all to the Lord. Don't look into the other guy and go, I know more than you. I'm good today. No, we come in and, and in a heart and a posture of submission to the Lord and say, this is about him. And we're going to declare the name of Jesus. And so he says this to men. And then verse 9, he says, likewise. Okay, listen, that word is huge and it is, it is big when we understand what's going on in verse 8. Paul says, men, you're going to come into the church and you are going to make it about the name of Jesus. And you're going to submit to the authority of Jesus. Verse 9. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, 
with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Likewise, women, you are to come into the place of worship, and it is not to be about what you bring to the table. It is not to be, to, to be about what you look like. It is to be about the name of Jesus. Likewise, just as the men are to come in and submit themselves to Jesus, likewise, women, you are to come into the place of worship and submit yourself to Jesus. And so, so Paul's saying some things here to women. Hey, don't get so caught up and what you wear or what you look like, right? He's battling some things culturally that we necessarily don't battle today, but we actually do battle them, right? Right? He's got, he's got people who, have, who were, were um, given themselves to the goddess Artemis and come to know the Lord and they come into the church and everything that they had ever done for Artemis as a goddess, now they're coming to the church and going, this is what we do over here, so this is what we should do over here. And Paul's saying, no, no, because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so when you come into this place of worship, we come in it with submission to the Lord and saying, Lord, it's about you. And so ladies, don't fight. I, I tell you, and I'll tell you this with all my heart, and I'm not a woman, but I'm going to tell you this. Fight with all you are against the culture that says you should look like this. Or it says that you should, should be like this. Fight with all you are to submit yourself to the Lord. Say, God, I just want to make this about you. I want to make my whole life and all that I am about Jesus. And so he gives some instructions to men and women both. And it all revolves around us submitting ourselves to the Lord when we come into this place of worship. And then what you're all here for. Here we go. Verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she, should, she is to remain quiet. All right. What's this mean? Right? What does it mean? All of you ladies are really on edge. All right. I'm about to get rocks thrown at me. What's going to happen here? I told Sean, he said, how are you going to handle this? I said, I'm going to get my wife up on stage, and when she starts to talk, I'm going to tell her to stop talking. And he said, that's probably a bad idea. I was like, I know, I wasn't going to do it. But listen, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit her to teach, a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. What is Paul saying? So here's the deal. We have to unpack this a little bit, and, and, and then we're going to understand what's going on, because there's some views here, okay? There are commentaries after commentaries after commentaries written on this passage, and I've spent an exorbitant amount of time reading this week, and there's lots of opinion, um, and, and so we're going to get there. Verse 11, learn quietly and with all submissiveness. What is he talking about? So for a woman to learn quietly, is Paul saying that she has to be completely silent all of the time? No, that's not what Paul is saying. 
He's not saying that women should completely stay silent and never say a word. That's never what Paul meant in this text, okay? But what Paul is saying is that you should come in with a heart of submissiveness to come into the, 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 the place of worship and say, Lord, what are you going to teach me? Because look, Paul is, is, is saying something already in a patriarchal society that's kind of like, whoa, did you catch it? Let a woman learn. That was already a, like mind-blowing to this Jewish culture, even to the Greek culture, that a woman could even learn. What? And so Paul, his desire is not that a woman can't know anything and that she can't ever do anything productive for the kingdom. Paul is coming in and saying, hey, with a heart of submissiveness, this is what I'm saying to women. Learn quietly. And this word quiet is not, again, translated silence. It's actually a reference back to what Paul says in, um, in, at the beginning of chapter 2 when he calls us to live a quiet and peaceful life. It is this, is that a woman should come into the place of worship and learn in submission to Christ, okay? In submission to Christ first and foremost. But in the quietly is that this, is that women, you need to come into the place of worship with a heart that says, I'm not going to get caught up in the gossip. I'm not going to get caught up in the talking about this or talking about her or talking about them or talking about anything else. But I'm going to come into this place and I'm going to make it about the name of Jesus. And I want to learn what the Lord has for me. So Paul's not saying, hey, you are to live a life that, that is reflective so that people and other women are attracted to the life that you live. Man, I want all of Burleson to look at the women at Oak Grove and go, man, their lives are reflective of Jesus. That's what I want, church. And that's what Paul's saying. Women learn quietly and with full submission first to the Lord. And then he's going to say this in verse 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. In verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So this whole verse right here, we've made a massive deal about in the church for thousands of years, right? Okay, here's what Paul is saying. And, 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 and we're going to talk about some different ideas, interpretations of this. But when he says that they should not exercise authority, he is, this Greek, the literal translation is to, to dominate or domineer over a man. Okay? So that's what Paul's saying is that I don't per permit a woman, okay, to teach or to dominate over a man, whether she is to remain quiet. Now, some interpretations are saying, well, this is, a, um, this is cultural for them in their church. At the church of Ephesus, they had women coming in, and um, it, it is, it was, it's pretty common um, that, that the women were um, much more prone to follow the false teachers that Paul talks about in, in chapter 1. And so um, uh, there's, interpret, there's a, one viewpoint out there that says interpretation that uh, that, that was simply cultural. 
that we don't have to um, abide by this because it was cultural for Paul's day, that women could not exercise or teach men, that it was, it's a cultural idea, that um, the church at Ephesus just, they, they needed that because of what was going on culture, but that doesn't apply to us today. There's a problem with that, though. There's a problem with that because Paul never mentions their culture, but what Paul does then is he lines it up theologically for us why women should never teach man, okay? And here's what he does in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, we'll, we'll get to verse 15 in a minute. I know all of you are like, what is happening? Okay, so Paul then unpacks theologically why, why men should hold the authority in the local church. Okay, he's going to, in chapter three, then unpack why the senior pastor, this person that has been given the authority to preach God's word, should be a man. He's going to say that in chapter 3. But what Paul's getting at in this moment is it saying in, within the context of this gathered worship, it is to be a man here preaching God's word with authority, not a woman. And the reason he says that is because he takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, right? Genesis chapter 2, who did God create first? Yes, thank you so much, Abby. Adam, right? Adam. All of you were like, man, man, okay? He created Adam first, okay? And he put Adam as a head, and he, in fact, gave Adam jobs, and Adam named what? He named all of the animals. And then God saw that it wasn't good for man to what? Be alone. So from Adam, he took a rib, and he created a helper for him. And God established the order of the family, which is an example for the order of the church is that the man is the head of the household and his wife is his helper. That's the order that God established. And here's the problem. We start going, a lot of you are starting getting really nervous right now, okay? But, but here's the reality, okay? We make so much, when we talk about our roles as men and women, we make it about ability. Well, a woman can do anything a man can do. Nobody's seeing she can't. But when we look at God's order and we look at how God has designed us, it's not about your ability, it's about your responsibility. It's that God gave you a role and you fulfill that role as a man. You fulfill that role as a woman. And so when God sets it up in Genesis and creates the man and puts him over the household to lead the family, and he created for, for, for Adam a helper, and I, for one, as a man, am so much better because of the helper he has given me. 
And when we walk in our roles and our responsibilities that he has given us, he is glorified. Not because it makes me happy, but because it glorifies and honors God. But here's what happened. The fall happened, right? We go to the garden and Eve's hanging out. And what does Satan know? He knows the natural order in which God created things. So Satan's goal is to disrupt the natural order of things. So the serpent doesn't go to the man. He goes to the woman. Did God really say? Did God really? And Eve takes the apple and then she gives it to Adam. And now the order is disrupted because Eve has now led Adam. And that's not how God ever designed it. And so this is not a cultural thing. Paul says in 1 Timothy, hey, here's what I don't permit. I don't permit a woman to exercise authority over man or teach a man. And here's why, right? Here's why. Because here's the natural order of things. This is how God designed it. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not my opinion. This is how God designed it. If you have an issue with that, take it up with him. It's how he designed it. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say this. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So what does it mean for a woman to be saved in childbearing? Well, one interpretation is that, um, that through childbearing, we get Jesus. And that's through the salvation in which it comes. Other interpretation is this, is that a woman, through childbearing, okay, fulfills her role as a woman. And this tends to be more in line with what Paul's saying. Because Paul doesn't specifically say in the Greek, there's no definiteness to um, a specific act of childbirth, like Jesus' place. But rather, that, that Paul's saying that she will be saved through childbearing, that, that as she um, finds her role and submits to the authority of Jesus, and submits to the authority of her husband, she is then made whole. In the same way, men, as we come before the Lord and we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, He is Lord, not me, we find salvation. And so, yes, this is a difficult text. And, and here's the problem, though. So much of, of going, hey, declaring that, that, that women cannot teach men. Is it saying that women can't teach? No. No, because in fact, Paul exhorts women in many other places in the New Testament. He just says in the confines, in the, in the t gathering place of worship, men or women are not to teach men. That's what he says is because it's in Scripture. But we make it this big deal. Like we, we, the order's messed up and all of this, but, but, but I want to give you something else. Is that oftentimes this, this place of of, of pastor 
we have made a place of status. And that's not what it is. It is a place of service. And I'm not here and I'm not serving as your pastor so that my name gets lifted up. I'm serving as your pastor to first submit and serve the king and then serve you. This is not about status. It is about service. And we mess that up. We mess that up. Let's not do that, church. Let's not do that. Let's submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. So men, when you come into this place, submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. And when you do so, you will be a better man. You will be a better husband. You will be a better father. You will be a better friend. You will be a better brother. You will be a better son when you submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. Women, when you submit first yourself to the lordship of Jesus and to the authority of his word, you will be a better woman. You will be a better wife. You will be a better mother. You will be a better sister. You will be a better friend. You will be a better daughter. So when Paul declares these things in 2 Timothy, he's calling ultimately for your submission and my submission, first to his lordship, and secondly to the authority of his word. May that be true of Oak Grove Baptist Church in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, we want to submit ourselves to it. And we want to say that God, um, above our opinions, above our emotions, Father, may your word ring the loudest in our heads. May your word Shout the loudest to our hearts. And Father, may we submit ourselves to you. Father, as we respond in these moments, God, would we respond to you and what you have said to us this morning. God, we love you. We are grateful for your kindness and your mercy to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.